these people work hard. You know, I used to say the only person I knew that had their home phone number on their business card was a realtor. And they, that, that also meant they were accessible, but they understand customer support. Hi, this is Matt Sleppin, and welcome to Leading Voices in Real Estate. Today's episode, recorded on January 29th, is a conversation with Brad Inman about the single-family home resale business. This is another one of those Leading Voices conversations with a guest I wanted to have on the show for many years, and now we're getting to it. Brad is the founder and prior CEO of Inman, which is the leading media and conference company focused on the residential real estate sales business. Brad has been one of the leading journalists, thought leaders, and unstoppable entrepreneurs in that business for some 40 years. So we get his wisdom on a wide range of topics about that part of the real estate industry throughout the conversation. Leading Voices is largely a commercial real estate podcast, and our audience, I think, comes largely from the CRE business. So you know what I mean when I tell Brad that the conceit for this conversation is that all of our friends, and indeed, even our mothers, when we tell them that we're in the real estate business, and when I say I'm a real estate headhunter, all make the assumption that we're in the realtor business. And when I tell an acquaintance what I do for a living, they'll jump to the conclusion that I help brokerage shops hire brokers. And although everyone thinks we're in that business, we do not really understand that business, even though it's so adjacent to CRE, and even though we all Many of us are homeowners and go through realtors or not to buy our home. And furthermore, the headline news about the lawsuits upending the established order in the home sales business and that the CEO of the National Association of Realtors, NAR, is in a similar bag of trouble to the head of the NRA, the National Rifle Association, is further confusing and demands for us commercial real estate folks an update and a primer. And that, with more than a little wandering philosophically, is what Brad and I get to in this conversation. One of the things I'm now doing on the show, and this happens when you get to episode 163, as is this one, is that I'm picking guests who are worthy of the bar set by the prior guests, but also have some value to add to the breadth of conversations we've had. I intend for all the episodes to stand on their own, but I do now think about the archive what's not yet been covered, and hopefully whose perspective will add to the thinking encompassed in the library. To that end, do take a look at the archive, which you can scroll through on your podcast app or on the ZRG website at zrgpartners.com slash leading voices. All 160 plus episodes are there, and you can scroll through and listen or re-listen to an episode or two. And if you like it, share it with your colleagues. You know, there's no charge and no advertising, so this is for you and the industry as a resource. Go for it. As always, if you have a few minutes, please rate us on your podcast app. If you're not a subscriber, please do follow the show. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn and comment on the episode via my posts. If you have comments or questions on the show or want to learn more about how ZRG can help your organization in your human capital needs, feel free to email me at mslepin at zrgpartners.com. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Brad Inman. Brad Inman, welcome to Leading Voices in Real Estate. I say this too often on the show, but this is an episode I've wanted to do almost since the inception of the show because I realize now 
six years into the show, that we have not spoken about the single-family home sales business. And if you ask any of the mothers of any of our listeners what they do for a living, their mother will say, oh, they do something with real estate agents. (laughs) And none of us in commercial real estate, which is largely our listener base, does anything with single-family home sales except we buy and sell homes so we think we know the business, It's an adjacency, it's our world, but it's not our world. And there's a lot going on and it's confusing and it's on the front page of the paper all the time. So Brad, to me, even though you've left that business in some ways, you're Mr. Single Family Home Agent Sale Guru at the national level so you understand this business. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Well, I'm flattered and thank you for having me, Matt. I'm always, uh, I love real estate and... uh... I love everything about it. And so I love to, to talk about it. And um, I'll do everything I can to make this fun and interesting for your listeners. And, you know, I think one of the problems, I'll just be honest, Matt, I, commercial brokers back in the day, because I started out as a journalist, a consumer writer. And at one point, I wrote a lot about commercial real estate. In fact, I, I wrote for Charlie Munger in LA. He really? owns commercial and legal publications. And I had a new little company and I contracted to do all stuff, got to know him. And, uh, he once offered me a job. I thought he was going to buy my company, which was worth nothing. So I was pretty stupid, but I got to know him very well. Mm. But in that, I covered commercial. And then early on at Inman News, we had a commercial vein. But I always kind of favored the residential crowd. The uh, I like the, I don't know, the realtors are just fun. You know, I've taught at Cal Berkeley a couple times, and I always said I'd rather spend an evening at dinner with some residential realtors than uh, faculty. They're far too boring. But commercial was kind of, they, they always thought they were better than residential. You know, they wore a tie, and they look down on realtors. Like the whole country looks down on realtors. They have a terrible, you know, the individual realtor you work with to sell your house, you like them. You may have them over to dinner, but the 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 profession has a, a pretty negative light on it. In fact, that was a big part of what I did over many, many years after leaving the, you know, the newspaper commercial or the consumer writing. So anyway, that's kind of where I came from. It's just I have a different orientation. But I also love realtors because they made me a a bundle of money. We have we had a million readers who still do at Inman, and you know it's a huge business and very successful. A company I sold three years ago. Uh huh. And it's interesting. So we all have thoughts, prejudices about what a realtor is, and I don't understand what a realtor is because there's a capital R and a little TM after it. Yeah. A B. It's the only profession I know where everyone's business card has a picture of them. Yeah. What? Well, why do they have pictures of themselves? Well, they are masters at networking, and they're unafraid to show up everywhere. You know, hustle you in a in as you're walking down the aisle, leaving a church, and uh, which I love. I you know I I am an entrepreneur, but I, I've been a journalist my whole life, and I wanted to stick to what I love, which is journalism. And the only way I could do that is to market myself. And people say, well, why are you doing that? You should be selling and marketing. I go, well, you can wait tables and be a journalist, but I don't really want to do that. I did that when I was younger. What I So I really respected always selling. Like I just started a new venture on longevity and I'm selling all the time. And to be honest, I love selling. So they're, they're truly salespeople and they're not apologetic. And, you know, they're not that educated generally. Oh, that's changing radically. There's a new generation of real estate people that very sophisticated. They often are very well educated, college degrees, done other things. 
residential real estate for the generations behind us. I think boomers, you know, we have attitudes and prejudice about everything. We're the most boring, closed-minded group of people that ever were invented. But you look at Gen Z now, they love residential real estate and they went to college and they have degrees and they, you know, they're into influencers. So they like celebrity realtors, like others like celebrity chefs. And so it's radically changing where this is a profession people want to join. And there's some fascinating, interesting people that, that are doing it. But for many years, you know, it was one of the first professions that women could get into. And why? Because their screwy husbands left them, abandoned them with debt and no way to make ends meet in the 60s and divorced them. And, you know, and these women had nowhere to turn and no profession and they became realtors. So that's why the grand dames of real estate, another group that people like to make fun of. But, you know, it was a first integrated, right? you know, women that need to make a living. So there's so many beautiful things about residential real estate, not to mention, as I say, you do God's work. You're helping people buy a home. There's nothing, <laughs> you know, at least in this country, it's still a dream. The American dream is to own a house and they help people do that. The reason they put their card in there is they're master networkers and, you know, no shame about it. And they're unapologetic. And the whole reason they have this realtor capital R and all that, that's because of how real estate is been, you know, organized. Mm -hmm. And it gave birth to the MLS, which is fantastic, but it's also a cabal that is now being sued and investigated by the DOJ and the FDC, and there's a nightmare going. So the old world is changing quite quickly, but a whole new generation is coming on. We had our big real estate conference in last week in New York City, and it was a sellout in a horrible market. This is the worst market in 30 years, worse than the the subprime crisis, um, and uh, sold out and predominantly young people. So the next generation is going to take, you know, is going to take the one and move because it's it's being disrupted by the government, by lawsuits, by technology. But you know who will survive? It's going to be really interesting. That individual realtor in your neighborhood showing up in temple or church or right. that person that has, you know, um, a float in the local parade and there, there are billboards everywhere and their picture on their business card um, because they're not going away. Because I know about you, I mean, I really don't want to sell my house myself. And uh, when I look for a house, I need some guidance. And, you know, Zillow and other technology companies are doing a great job, Matt, but these people are going to be around a long time. So that's a footing I have in this industry. I'm grateful to real estate. When I was a consumer writer, I was like, everybody, ooh, realtors, they're so smelly, you know, sleazy, but that's not really true at all. Yeah, it doesn't, it, it's interesting, we're in the middle of buying a house in, in D.C., so so we could be within a block of my granddaughter, and the, we found all of the houses online, but the first thing we did was call a realtor to help us get this done, and to give yeah. us the local wisdom that we needed, even though we're sophisticated real estate investors, we needed yep. that guy. So, well, you know, there's a lot of contingent liability in buying a home, particularly today. And realtors, you don't offload all that contingent liability on a real estate agent, but you certainly <laughs> do a fair amount of it and to the broker and the owner and even the franchise where they, they take on that liability that you might. And the other thing is they think about it. They just been doing this. If you got a good realtor, they've been doing it for years and they've done hundreds, if not thousands of transactions. Yeah. And, you know, I don't do my taxes. Um, I don't sign a contract without my lawyer. Right. And lucky now I don't have to clean my own house. But I, you know, I'm always finding people to do work for me. And why wouldn't you every you know, few years you buy a house, sell a house? Why wouldn't you have a, you know, 
um, an expert, right. uh, but you can go out and find a good one. You know, it's, there are a lot of chuckleheads out there. Well, we'll talk about what that means and disintermediation. It look, I'm a headhunter, so headhunters are treated like realtors. Like we're always marketing, but we're always advising, and you have to both market and advise at the same time. And there's value there. And one question, but I have so many things to drill down with you on, but I have this 80-20 rule that follows me everywhere. And I assume when you have realtors, there's a couple million of them, a million and a half of them. And of that, maybe the 80-20 rule is 20% of them are highly professional, do this for a living, and maybe 80% of them do this more hobby-like or not as sophisticated. Does that rule apply here? And are those the people who come to your conference? No, we have the best and the brightest there. They're full time. So they could twenty percent travel to New York country. and pay Brad Inman a thousand dollars, right? Or fifteen hundred even. They are the best and the brightest. They're the ones. A big part of our show has always been. I was a big proponent of streamlining the process. Oddly enough, even when I wrote for newspapers, I wrote about this how goddamn complicated it is and bureaucratic it is, and you know, it's like. Every day is like calling Comcast when you buy and sell a house. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was a big fan of bringing technology to the business to, as I said, uh, create a better real estate transaction. Our vision always at Inman was uh, to help reform and improve and change the real estate process to help the consumer. And that was still my consumer orientation. That's still our vision today. So new business models, you know, disruptors, new technology, you know, we, Zillow announced its launch on our stage. The founder of of, uh, Trulia, Pete Flint, called me from Stanford as a student and said he didn't have any money to come to my conference. Could he, could he volunteer? And he checked security badges and he drove home to the Silicon Valley, to Stanford and launched in his head, his vision for Trulia, which he sold to Zillow for $3.5 billion dollars. That's it was a little down at closing. I think it was two and a half billion. He now lives close by to me in Paris. So we've always been all about the entrepreneur. And again, I found entrepreneurs to be just like realtors. Why is that? They start a company with a credit card. There's no one paying their health care. There's no one paying them a salary. Um, you know, when I was on the stage this week or last week in New York in front of all these realtors, I, I looked out and I, I realized there were people there that probably haven't had a transaction in six to seven months. Mm-hmm. And even the best of the brightest in real estate now are really struggling and no one's going to take care of them. So they have a spirit just like an op- entrepreneur. And you know this, man, you start a company, you know, you, 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 just, you, you just throw yourself at something and it's very, very challenging. So they have that spirit. I don't know where I'm going with this with your question, but anyway, they're, well, they're the ultimate entrepreneurs, and they start every year as as we do in search. I started my company with a credit card before I went to zero, sold it to ZRG. So you know, good story there, and also every year starts at zero in your in the sales business, and everyone who starts at zero understands in their gut what that means, and they yeah. understand good years and bad years. Yep. And the only difference is, I don't know about you, but I started a bunch of tech companies and there you don't have even have a damn business model, but at least they have a business model. And yeah. in the end of the day, it's it's transactions and it's listings. And, you know, a good realtor understands that that is their goal. Yep. So the good thing, if, if they can get a listing and they can sell it um, and good realtors learn how to do that then they can make a decent living. But, you know, the average realtor makes nothing. They're, right. They're bl- That's that 80% bl- is average, but the 20%, they do really well. 
Yeah. But the part-timers are, I think there's fewer of them. I, but I don't really know that, Matt. I'm not okay. sure if that's true, but I, I seem to think it is. Uh, it's become more of a profession just because of the young people entering the business. Yep. So help us make sense of, and we're going to, at the end of the conversation, we're going to reserve some time to talk a little bit about you, your journey, and what you're up to now. But let's sure. keep yeah. drilling down on this. And what the hell is going on with NAR, 6% lawsuits, turnover yeah. at these organizations? Do people have to have a realtor license or be a member of NAR? What what does all that cabal mean? What's that What's that ecosystem now? I was just at a, in Paris, somehow the weird real estate conference showed up there with a bunch of Americans. They asked me and I'd give an opening and I talked about buying a house in Paris. And um, my wife and I were like, thunderstruck by how horrible it is and how lucky we were to be in the United States, to be in a, to be in the United States where a system's under siege and attack and legitimately and illegitimately in many, many ways, the government, the FTC, DOJ, what they're doing is right on because there's a mess here. However, the benefit of what's called broker cooperation, which goes back to the early uh, 20th century, the 1910s or something, where a couple of brokers in San Diego came together and basically said, hey, if you show my listing, I'll show yours. Mm -hmm. Simple concept. Mm -hmm. Instead of like you guys got Andy Florence, who I love. I was on stage with him last week. You know, there is no comprehensive MLS except Andy's, right? And uh, But here it is, 99.9% of all listings instantly, seconds, are put on the MLS. And it goes back to this fundamental agreement of broker cooperation. I'll show you yours if you show mine. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work in hardly any industries. I, right. I guarantee you that Microsoft and Apple don't do that for each other. They're, you know, just go through transportation. You know, you think of all the confusion about interlocking transportation lines. It's a very rare thing. Now, what happens though, when you do that? Well, there's dangers. And one is price fixing. And the other is uh, constraint of trade, where they go against companies that have an alternative business model, which we always put on stage. We thought it was innovation and we were agnostic. We were a little Switzerland. We were a news company. We're not pay-per-view. You can't pay to, you know, like I can't, I didn't pay you to be on this podcast. You asked me to be here. And similarly, that's how Inman operates. But, you know, so we encourage those models, but there's a long history of, of constraint of trade. One of the companies I started, I stepped away from Inman, how to CEO. So there was church and state. And I started an online real estate company, really the first one called HomeGain. And we had an unbelievable exit, you know, over $100 million early exit. We had TCV and Mark and and I had great investors. Uh -huh. and NAR came after us. Realtor.com came after us. The DOJ subpoenaed 40,000 of my records. I was on the right side of the angels because they were trying to prevent constraint of trade. And we were really, really suffered from it. But the company did fine because at the end of the day, consumers chose uh, not the industry. So that was one part. But then on the commission side, Matt, the real problem here is when you have that level of cooperation, then you have the danger that people fix prices. Mm -hmm. So I, I think historically, and there's been so much legislation, there's so many laws that prevent this, and you have to negotiate commission and you can't, you know, collude. There is a perception and a reality until recently that this 6% was golden. No one could deviate. If you if you did, you were ostracized. And the reason it 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 happened in part because of broker cooperation, like 
if you don't put this up and offer me as a buyer's agent, 3% of the 6%, mm -hmm. then, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, there was just this unspoken, like most price fixing. It's not, it's not like people meet in the breakers in a, in a, in a, um, in a cocktail bar in in Palm beach. It's that there's this unspoken relationship mm -hmm. and that became cemented and and it was in all the literature and all the training and everything and in fact there's been lawsuits now about the whole system and as a as a consequence or the, what helped the uh the plaintiffs is they just had so much information about you know this cabal and this right. co cooperation not just around listings being shared and published, which creates the MLS. But back to Paris, there's no MLS. There is no broker cooperation. And so it's impossible to find a house. The and only house no is transparency. Yeah, it's exclusive listings by that agent. And not too much different, actually, than commercial. I mean, um, residential real estate is, I mean, our system is the envy of the world for consumers. And that's the first thing I said from stage in Paris at this conference that I attended was, wow, I mean, this is a mess here. Let me unravel some of the things that you've yeah. mentioned. First of all, MLS, I remember that word from 20 years ago, but now I think of Zillow. What's the difference between Zillow and MLS? Because Well, the only reason, you know, Zillow is a verb. More people go to Zillow to look at real estate. In fact, people type into Google Zillow. They don't type in real estate when they're right. in real estate. Fabulously successful company, Rich Barton and Lloyd Brink are the two founders. I met them at Microsoft when I started helped start Home Advisor back in the day. They started uh, Expedia, and just super bright guys. In fact, when we sold HomeGain, TCV, my investor, loved the space, loved they made money off my thing. They invested in Zillow, so it just kind of carried on all these characters, you know, that were all involved right. with each other in a really good way and constructive way. They learned from us. The difference between them and I built a hundred fifty million dollar company. They built a, I don't know, thirty billion. <laughs> Six billion dollars, whatever it is, but you know, generationally. But the Zillow, where do you think their listings come from? I assume it's just an upload of the MLS, and the MLS must now have to be open to everybody. They don't have any special. They don't have what Andy has in commercial. Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy, he's got people paying him to list their property, right. and he charges a subscription, as you'd know well. And he wants to bring portions of that here, and he has a slogan called. You're listing your lead, which is more, you know, like LoopNet. And uh, Zillow, on the other hand, has an open platform, open consumer platform that they have 70,000, what they call premier realtors, but any realtor can go sign up. But they have all of the MLS. And now they broke something down, but this started breaking down anyway in the industry. They have for sale by listings and they have rentals and they have other things. And that's great because uh, there's, you know, who wouldn't want all of them? And there's only a few, but, you know, they're out there. And so people want to know. And there's less and less, oddly enough. The public with all the technology and all the innovation and the alleged disruption, there are fewer for sale by owner listings than ever. Right. And uh, so it's just cemented the role of the realtor and the MLS. Because if you're going to sell your house, you're not going to not put it on the MLS. And that was another thing the DOJ and the FTC went after them. They said, wait a second, this is an open public platform and there's right. no way you can see you have to be a realtor. You have to be licensed. The only people that can participate. So that cracked open. I mean, there's been cracks in the system, but the big crack is whether there's a crack in the broker cooperation. So back to Zillow, Zillow has all the listings cause there's broker cooperation. 
and because they tap into the MLS, and that's why it's comprehensive. Now, what did Zillow do different than everybody else? Well, they spent hundreds of millions, billions, on building an application and a consumer experience that was, you know, it used to be if you typed in real estate, you'd get Remax and Century 21, and but they just did an absolutely horrible job, those companies, and fell asleep at the switch, then got hit by the national recession, and Zillow stepped in and just wiped them all out. And so they're meaningless in the consumer search of real estate business. And Zillow also has, if I type, if I plug in any home that's not for sale, it tells me when the last sale was. So it's a complete database, again, yeah. of transparency. So I could see what the neighbor's house is, Zestimate is, or whatever yeah. that means. Okay, so well, I don't want I don't want to uh, overdo and and you know make any, but say I, me, my yeah. team, we invented the home valuation for the consumer. And the, the way it happened is I knew that lenders were doing this. They were doing estimated valuations and they had a, you know, an acronym, ABM, whatever they called it. And uh, I went to one of the data providers and he was in Orange County, a very savvy guy. And I said, um, I want to put a consumer face on this and I want to give it away to the public. And I had a really sharp BD guy, uh, Dan Martin, who was part of the home game team. We were a big company then. And uh, I said, Dan, go negotiate a deal. This guy wants $150 per valuation because that's the minimum the lenders would pay him. And he said, well, what can we afford, Brad? And I said, 15 cents. Now, it turned out for me and my P&L, that was too much money mm. uh, because the public went crazy. We started running ads in Sacramento, tested it, and then run all over the country. And uh, we said, you know, you know your stock market, the, you know the value of your stocks, but you know the value of your biggest asset, which is your house, and the public flocked to it. Right. It was one of those times, you know, you probably launch a lot of products I have. I always say, half of them fail miserably. Half of them are, you know, the other half of the half are half as successful. And then the, every once in a while, you do something that takes off. And as an entrepreneur, you kid yourself and think they all will. But that home valuation is what became this estimate. And the difference between, you know, uh, Rich Barton, I mean, Rich just, he had nailed, you know, so many things with the user experience at Expedia. And they just took it to another level. But that that's what they initially did to get traffic right. before they had listings like we did at HomeGain. And that turned out to be very, 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 very powerful. Yeah. So talk about what... And by the way, I say this for any consumers out there. The home valuation was never intended to be exacting. I always said, get of course. get three three bids from realtors. They know best. Get, get a home valuation for free. And you're a smart person because I really believe in transparency. And that's the other thing real estate wasn't except for listings. There was It was very opaque and very common. How do they get paid? Like the old days, you know this. Mortgage brokers. I used to do consumer shows with newspapers and mortgage brokers would get on stage and I'd be moderating. And I'd say, how do you get paid? And they would spit out some ridiculous gobbledygook and... You know, who knows how their mortgage broker gets paid? It's a big black box. And so there's a lot of that crap in, in residential and a lot in commercial. Yeah, of course. Okay. I, I want to come back to a couple of things that I still don't understand. What is a broker with a small B versus a broker with a big V? Because I think I, a big B. There's only two markets. You know, it, in New York City and Chicago are the two big ones. There's probably some others. Where the broker is a universal term to describe an agent you know, a realtor. Those are really the only two that have meaningful, you know, market share in the country. Everyone else, a broker 
in order to be an agent, you have to hang your license with a broker. And the broker is your mentor, your trainee, your motivator, pays for the office rent, gives you a desk, gives you technology, and is your protection from liability. See, the beauty, again, of the system is there are no barriers to entry, which results in poor qualifications. Mm -hmm. That's why anybody, and I used to say it was harder to be a hairdresser in California than it was to be a licensed realtor. To get a, to get a license as a hairdresser required more education and training. And, and it, to be a realtor is virtually nothing. And so that was deliberate um, by the National Association of Realtors and membership organizations. But it was also this huge employment program. So but it put a lot of people out on the street, okay? But uh -huh. there was a legal structure created around them to protect the public. And so the bro you have to hang your license with a broker and there's different requirements to be a broker. And this is most states except in New York And City. let me under unpack three words here. I want agent- and I'm being very general about this. There's a lot more detail. Yeah, but I don't want too much detail, but agent, no. broker, and realtor are different terms of art. Agent at the lowest level, realtor- I mean, there's no law legal uh, definition like of an agent, but an agent is usually someone you refer to as licensed. Yeah. A realtor is a member of, it used to be the NAR, the local board of realtors, the state association, you know, a lot of layers of bureaucracy here that are coming down as we speak. And uh, it also used to be, and this was the DOJ went after it meant you were a member of the MLS. So the only way you could get your listing on the MLS be was to be a realtor. And because of the power of the MLS, think about it, it's how NAR got so big yeah. and profitable and full of money and power and a huge pack and everything. And uh, that is one thing, you know, the DOJ doesn't say it this way, but having been in a lot of meetings with those, the, the regulators, there's, it's not their mission to bring it down, but they really are trying to break down this cabal that leads to price fixing and that leads to constrain a trade and mm -hmm. leads, you know, to, to all the bad things about real estate. You know, one thing about the image of the realtors is you get 6% of the price, you know, it, I mean, every, it makes everybody mad and it should, you should, you should have the you know, you should be able to negotiate those fees. Yeah. Let's come back to it. Okay. So the hierarchy here is agent, realtor, broker, and then the brands. Where do the brands fit into that? We're just franchises. They're, they're just like McDonald's. And uh, it used to be before the internet that they spent a huge, like McDonald's, if you own a McDonald's franchise, right, you expect the, the national company to be advertising like crazy. And it used to be the brands were that. I think you're going to see some, you know, some new brands, Redfin, Compass, Innovative Young Entrepreneurs, all launched at Inman. <laughs> and they are uh, providing a different set of services that's more attuned to the next generation. They're younger, more tech savvy providing. But it used to be the brands were just like all other consumer brands. Uh, and they provide promotion. And, and uh, you know, McDonald's has really strict standards, as we know, right? There weren't enough strict standards because, as it's said many times in residential real estate, it's impossible to herd the cats, the cats being the realtors. So they could never, you know, you can walk into a McDonald's, it's very rare that it's not clean and perfect and the hamburgers made the same way. But you can walk into Century 20 and Caldwell Banker and you can have a, you know, a, a great experience and a bad experience. The franchises are just that, they're franchises, but their world is changing radically. Like Compass is a broker, Redfin is a broker. And the franchise is kind of unclear. Realogy owns like six brands. And it wouldn't surprise me if they 
uh, integrate more and more of these brands because the power of the brand, and it, it's because of Zillow. And think about it, traditional branding was not a habit. It was just advertising a reputation or an experience or more importantly, a brand, whereas Zillow's a brand of habit like Google or yeah. Facebook. And brands of habit are worth a fortune. Yeah. And that's why if you look at Realogy with six brands and you look at its, I think it's probably a billion and a half. I don't know what it is today. In valuation and Zillow's, I think it's 20 or 30 billion. I haven't looked at the numbers recently, right. but the reason is that the brand of habit is worth a lot more money. They have 212 million people going into Zillow every single month. And, you know, we all, we all go back, right? I checked probably in the last week, you know, my value of my house in Palm Springs. That's cool. Okay. Let's keep, stick with this for a few minutes. Realogy and the brand. Is this helping you? Matt, am I doing what you want? I think you're doing a good job. This is cool. Oh, okay. but, but we have to, there's so many topics and they're all related. So we have to right. go around all of them and there's no perfect way to, hey, let's talk about this first. So if we think about Realogy and its brands, and you mentioned Century 21 and Coldwell Banker, and there's others, to, and someone's going to shoot me for this. I go, nah. And if I think of Compass, I think of, okay, there probably is something to that as a, a platform versus a brand. And maybe EXP, I don't know which of these fit this. Can you describe the difference between the franchise and print yeah, they're, they're, i mean they're all di they're all different I'll, I'll just give you some big buckets okay the traditional franchise would be coal banker century 21 era sotheby's follow pretty uh berkshire hathaway which is owned by warren buffett um pretty traditional you know business model much like i just described compass comes on board and they they come as a broker and they're the largest broker in the country now they have like 25 percent market penetration they have top performing realtors. They tend to be younger realtors. They have a different culture. Are they a platform? I interviewed Robert Rufkin, the CEO, last week on stage, and he's a marvelous entrepreneur. He argues it is a platform because of the fundamental technology and the culture. And, uh, you know, I think that's true to a degree, but he's not Zillow, you know? That's fair deal. And Zillow is a platform. But Definitely a different approach. Then you got Redfin that shook up the whole business model by offering, you know, discounted commissions, uh, paid their realtors a salary. They're not commission based. Really excellent technology. They're more of a platform probably, and you can judge it one way is by consumer penetration. Uh -huh. You know, in the ranking, it's Zillow, it's Realtor.com, it's now Andy Florence at Homes.com, and it's Redfin. So Redfin is both a broker and a and a consumer distribution platform. And then you've got these new companies like Keller Williams, which, uh, well, let's take Remax first. Remax kind of uh, was radical back in the 80s because they said, we want the best and the brightest realtors. The only way you could come work for us is to give us $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year. Most realtors couldn't afford that. And that gave you an office space and that was their business model. So they tend to attract more uh, competent, capable realtors back in the day. And then you had, but they grew like a weed because it was a new business model and it seemed to be working really well. And then you had Keller Williams, Gary Keller, who's, you know, iconic in the industry. And he understood how to talk to realtors very well. Uh -huh. And what he did is gave him a piece of action, which some, some people criticize being a pyramid scheme, but I don't think it necessarily was at all. But it certainly was a way for, you know, I'm an agent and my side gig could be, 
attracting other agents to Keller Williams and I'd get a piece of their action, a piece of my action. Mm -hmm. And uh, that grew very successful. And EXP is another version of the, you know, the guy that started that Glenn Sandberg, he came from Keller Williams. Uh -huh. He argued with Gary. He went out and started EXP. It grew like a weed, same thing. And then, um, you know, there's millions of realtors out there. So there's always an opportunity right. to make money off. What's interesting about this whole system, Matt, mm -hmm. all paid for, well, indirectly by the consumer, for sure, by realtors, all Zillow, EXP, Keller Williams, Inman News, just go on and on and on. So when a realtor says, you know, I'm not going to get 6%, I'm going to get five or four on top of paying all of us, because they're the ones at the end of the day pay for all of this. Right. Brokers don't spend any money on advertising, right? So Zillow gets all their money from agents. Uh, Keller Williams gets all of it from fees and commission splits, as right. does realtors. So these millions of realtors are carrying a big load on their back. Yeah. And uh, I, in order to get access, I mean, I, I had the president of Zillow on stage and, and she said their fee now is 40% referral for their premier agents. You know, that's, that's a lot, you know. Um, what what does a, that mean? I'm sorry. What What's it mean? 40% fee for their premier agents that go to Zillow. So if you're a preferred agent, which is what Zillow calls their agents, they say they're the best agents and they're using technology and now AI, I guess, you know, everybody's using that, they say, but to narrow down who's a real prospect, you know, it's just like any lead list, you know, top of the funnel, like right. it, it's a big funnel at the top and it gets down to, you know, six transactions and they're doing a better and better job, they argue. So they charge a fee, a subscription fee to the realtor, and then they get 40% of their commission. And that's the promise and uh, for a closed transaction. And so they're betting with you. And it's been corporate relocation was a big business for many realtors, you know, where a company would yeah. move into a new area and they would give the best realtor in town, or it was through their franchise, uh, they would give them that business, which is a pretty much guaranteed lead. And so it was a 25% referral fee. And then inside real estate, I don't know if this is true in commercial, but I'm Joe Realtor with Century 21 in Dallas. And, you know, you're Matt Realtor with Coal Banker in Miami. And I got a client move into Miami and I call you up and you sell them the house or help them buy a house. Then you would kick back 25% to me. Fee so splits. referrals are common. And all Zillow did is tap into that. We did the same thing at home gain and made us a lot of money. So this is so interesting to me from so many perspectives. A, I'm in a referral business myself, so I deal with this all the time. I argue with all of my clients about the value of the platform versus the value of the representative or the agent or the consultant or the advisor, and the power dynamic shifts over time. Also, from everything you're saying, I'm more confused now than I was at the beginning because there's so many players. It feels yeah. like the pizza business. Every week there's like... You know, once a year, there's a new pizza company that takes over the country yeah. because the barriers yeah. to entry are low for someone who's really entrepreneurial for a business platform. It's like the nail salons and the hairdressers yeah. and, you know, and it's a it's really ignored part of our economy. And I think it's an important one, whether it's nail salons or realtors or especially if you're an entrepreneur. It's kind of like it's kind of like Uber and immigrants, you know, God love right. the immigrant. Totally. True. I mean. With this debate over immigration, I always think, wait a second, you guys, because hold on, because um, this is the fuel that's, you know, fortified 
the American economy for well yeah. over a century. And, you know, now we have a corporate bat pat middle class, you know, and, and the, the, the immigrants aren't going to penetrate that. So guess what? In real estate, mm -hmm. big part. It's interesting. A couple of different things. Women. Yep. The gay community. Yep. Immigrants. I mean, I looked at it in my audience last week with the opening day, we were packed to the gills. There was no seats. And it was the most colorful collection of people like Uber drivers. And we just got to make sure we don't screw any of that up. And if I think about what you just said, then we're going to have to change subjects because we don't have a lot of time. But if I'm an immigrant or someone who wants to claw my way to the top, to claw from the 80% to the top 20% is some intelligence and some really hard work. And in that business, yeah. you could do it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm tracking, or did, it's over now, but there is this young niece and nephew of a woman that works for me who walked from Venezuela to San Diego. And I use this in my speech. And I'm not getting into immigration. This is a right. political conversation. And she showed me pictures all along the way of them. And they were always happy and eager. And I thought, wow, I'll hire them. <laughs> right. You know, I have people walking into my office, fourth generation Americans who are spoiled to death, you know, and don't know how to work hard and don't have it in their gut, you know, and not everybody's like that. My kids and all their friends are hardworking and care and educated, but they have an advantage, you know? Yep. Um, and that's real estate because you can get a license pretty easily, probably easier than you get a passport. Right. Uh, I'm sure you can, because actually I'm not even sure you need a social security number. I mean. <laughs> You probably have to be legal, but uh, to get in a broker's office, but it's beautiful. And then you look at these franchises, many of them focus on various groups. So you go into South Central in LA and you'll see lots of real estate offices and it's, or anywhere. And it's, it's a foot in the door to, you know, wherever, even if you're a lo lifelong resident yeah, for someone who's got it in them to, but these people work hard. You know, I used to say, this is a long time ago, Matt, but the only person I knew that had their home phone number on their business card, mm -hmm. this is back when you had a home phone number, was a realtor. No one ever working for IBM would put that. And their picture. Back to the picture thing. Yeah. And that that, that also meant they were accessible. But right. the, they understand customer support. And they didn't send them to an 800 number. In fact, there's a lot of criticism now because the platforms steer you through their platform. Right. And in fact, uh, Andy Florence is big, you know, he's after Zillow hard, obviously. So he does everything he can to criticize Zillow. But you're listing your lead. And on his listings on homes.com, at the very top, like the picture on the business card, Matt, mm -hmm. is uh, the realtor. And whereas Zillow, you go through the platform. And then the platform may sell your lead to someone that doesn't sell that house. I've done it. I did it in Palm Springs. I thought I was talking to the listing agent and I actually was talking through a premier agent that worked for Zillow. It turned out to be a good agent. Right. But so, so Andy's really pounding on this, which is interesting. Right. Andy has not been on my show yet and we need to have him on my show because he is the oh, yeah. parallel. He's uh, a great interview. And this, and he, brilliant. you know, I watch people over the, you know, particularly the entrepreneurs, they start out awkward and shy and then they're suddenly like, you know, Peter Barton was always charismatic as hell, but you know, they're getting comfortable in the industry, but I was so impressed by Andy this time. But what I really noticed is my audience. He has this very trustworthy, convincing presence. Uh -huh. 
and I don't agree with any, everything he said, but I certainly respected. And he's, you know, he, like he did in apartments in our business, you know, he, he just rolled over Zillow. So Zillow's scared to death, even though I'd never admit it. Wow. Okay. Let's go backwards and finish with a subject. And the subject to finish with is what is going to happen to the National Association of Realtors? Does it, is it going to crash and burn and do we need it? But what's all the noise? Because there's been an article once a month, once a week in the newspaper. I don't understand it. Yeah. We had the reporter who broke a lot of the story. There's a big sexual harassment. I call it the perfect storm, Matt. There was a big sexual harassment scandal. The Me Too movement hit every industry, it seemed, but it hadn't hit real estate. And uh, we had reported on it, but we're a tr- you know, trade publication. So mm-hmm. uh, we shined light on it for 20 years. We wrote about all this stuff over and over and over again. And that NAR was a cabal and arrogant. And, you know, it's just like anything, probably like the nice National Rifle Association, where corruption at the top, you know. And they were living a good life and they had this crazy governance structure, 700 member board and 800 MLSs. And, you know, they're all traveling and going, you know, to these places and spending money and, you know, just typical corruption, not necessarily fraud or illegal. But when the Me Too happened, the president resigned, the incoming president resigned, the CEO resigned. There's a lot of theories. My reporters are covering it diligently. Just crazy stuff. You read the the stories and you go, I can't, this is made up. I wasn't surprised because I've been covering them and they came after me many, many, many times. But it's now they're on unsturdy ground. They used to use their clout and their power to bully everybody and shut everybody up. And the traditional real estate people would never stand up even though they knew it was wrong. So my best... Uh, sources as a as a reporter covering it came from people who were inside NER that wanted it to be reformed. But I think it's on shaky ground. But the first thing that happened is an alternative was put forth last week where a, a young realtor from New York who just well-intended teamed up with Mauricio Umansky, the Dancing with the Stars and married to a uh-huh. uh, Beverly Hills housewife, good looking guy. He he teamed up with this young realtor and they're going to start an alternative, the American Real Estate Association. And I, I don't know if, if I, I know Mauricio is a great guy, interesting guy, good energy, positive. I don't know whether that'll be successful. In fact, this one reporter called me and she said, hey, Brad, I hear you're behind creating uh, an alternative to the National Association of Realtors. And I said, yeah, right after I finished creating another New York Times. I mean, I I have no interest in doing that. But my point in that story is it's very hard to see what the alternative would be. But then also, Matt, the question is, do they need an alternative? I mean, their their cloud is allegedly their lobbying, but they mismanage the DOJ and the FTC, and that comes right. under government affairs, right? They mismanage public lawsuits, and I would argue totally mismanage that, that that comes under government affairs. Now, what they are, the biggest and baddest, guess what? Doling out money to Congress. <laughs> they are the biggest pack in the country. Right. So they don't, you could say their public policy stuff slipping here, but they still dole out. So that role. They don't have to regulate the business because they've kind of regulated the self-regulation of the business, but it's been biased towards how they do it versus open an open model. Right. 
Absolutely. And that's how it failed. I, it's yeah. interesting. I so love yeah, I think it. I think my prediction of what will happen to them, they're not going to dissolve and go away because they're just their political clout. I mean, yeah. the Congress kind of had to shut up in the last year over the controversies because it was in the New York Times before it was in the New York Times. So they say, NAR, you tell us what to do and we'll do it. Uh, Trump gave him a buy, kind of. We're told. I mean, it's hard to figure out exactly with the FTC and the DOJ, but I know those civil servants, and they work really hard. Their intentions are very good. Yeah. So the Biden administration is not held back, as you know, on constraint of trade and monopolies and and all these other issues like you know uh, commission cabals. But now you have um, the Congress kind of sitting on in its back, it's not jumping to defend NAR because it's in the New York Times every day and there's sexual harassment and there's corruption. And okay. So that does that doesn't give them cover this time. So I think it's just going to be a slim down, reformed, more focused organization. They won't have the power of the only way they get members because you have to join to MLS, you have to be a member of this, member of that. There's a breakdown. A lot of big brokers and franchisers are saying you don't have to join. And quite frankly, they're not making any money. It's very expensive for all the realtors and brokers to pay dues. And so to they don't want to pay. So and they're going, why do I need them? Redfin did it. Realogy did it. So they're pulling out of NAR. Um, so it's in trouble. But, you know, it's funny because of the lawsuits. It mutes everybody, Matt. So the leaders can't talk hmm. because they're all being sued uh, over all of this. And consequently, there's a void of leadership. It's like, who's going to stand up and tell us what the vision for the future will be? And uh, it's always been a uh, industry that's, you know, what do they call it? Distributed, whatever that is. Uh, yeah. It, but it's it's been its bane and it's been its success. But now there's an absence of leadership. I mean, it feels it feels like someone, you know, respect and Mauricio's close but would come out and say, here's the future, here's what it should look like. But it's probably going to be the government telling the industry. But but also, I, I, we have to conclude on this, so we do a couple of other topics before we go. It First of all, I love trade associations. I've worked at trade associations. Yeah. I talk about the National Multifamily Housing Institute, uh, Multifamily Housing Council all the time. And in the apartment business, there's a real, very, very important role for self-regulation and for lobbying and for other things for these associations. Absolutely. But this business is one where the brands, company like Zillow, is more important than NAR, NAR itself. So we're not going to start caring about it as much into the future. It just yeah, broke I, up. I, I don't want to. I don't want to pump myself or us up too much. And it's not me. It's the team. We have an incredible team at Inman News. Yeah. And you know what? We had a sellout crowd and. January? I mean, the market was terrible. There should right. have been no one. It'd been a good market. It'd been 10,000 because we're an alternative to, we're an alternative community to NAR because yep. community, what you just said, Matt, our trade groups are a community on top of doing certain things. It's where we all come together. We get together. Right. Inman's now five cities and daily news and, you know, people love the company. There's people that disagree with our news and they're mad at us every day because we report it straight up. But there's a strong community. It became evident to me that the next generation, and this happened during the 910 uh, recession, new young brokers came online and they go, Who, who's into technology? Who's doing what I do? And they all came to Inman and now they're coming again. And I think NAR is leaving a void filled by others. Yeah, of course. And, th and that's the natural way of the thing. So let's change the subject. Because we have about 10 minutes and I have too much to ask you about. But I want to think a little bit about the future. And I'm going to put like five different words together. You've talked a bunch about there being a recession in the business. 
We haven't talked about the affiliated adjacent businesses like home mortgage business, title insurance. One thing I really hate. I don't get the value of that sucker at all. Notaries, insurance, home renovation folks, right? If you think of all of those hangers on to this ecosystem, can we have 10 minutes? How do you see that changing over the coming years or relating more closely? They're all being being disrupted, you know? and uh, it's all about a streamlined, efficient transaction. You know, and I talked about it for 20 years. I just said, we got to make it easier for the consumer. But the reality is, guess what changed at the pandemic? You know, DocuSign, you know, e-signatures, um, you know, everything. Everything is being streamlined. And of course, the industries that were making a ton of money. It, it, but I've learned, you know, I'm now in the kind of the medical area doing this longevity stuff. And it's exactly the same. There's elitist at the top that are opaque and keep secrets. And and then there's everybody else in the extreme. There's chuckleheads and weirdos. And here it's and everybody's got their hands in, you know, if, if you look at medical care here in, let's say, Paris or something, you know, every 90 cents of the dollar in Paris goes to the patient, you know, here maybe 20% goes to the patient, 70% goes to insurance companies and providers and middlemen, and they all have their hands in the kitty. And real estate's just like every other interest industry. And you know that's because we're in a country, Matt, good and bad, uh, where special interests rule the roost, you know? And if you live, in, you live in a country where special interests don't have any clout, like there is no insurance companies in healthcare in Paris or in France. Why? Because health insurance is a God-given right for everybody. And uh, and I'm not, again, advocating it, but I think I used to be naive about this. I would never mm-hmm. start a business in France, but nine out of 10 of my checkoffs in quality of life. And so here it is the same case. You have all these special interests. You have all these state regulations that enable title companies. And a lot of what they do is good work. It just can be done differently and more systematic and you still need title insurance, but it can be done in a more efficient way. It's interesting as you said this, I just had a flash, this is going to be off subject, but it's just funny because you say special interests rule the roost and I kind of hate that, but I kind of love that. The opposite of that is a monopoly does it all for you. And in our country, once that monopoly has that power and it's the Amazon question, then you're screwed too. So life has to be somewhere in the middle. Look at regulated monopolies, utilities. Have you tried to call a Verizon lately? I mean, look at, right. let's not get into Amazon and Zillow and those characters as new platforms, but, you know, look at, look at banks. You know what, it, you know what it's like for a, a poor person to open a bank account? And do you know how they're screwed by the fees? And do you know, have you ever tried to call a bank? I mean, if you look at politically, let's take France. It's not a communist country with command and control. We're probably more like that than they are in terms of command and control over institutions that are private, allegedly, but are right. regulated monopolies. So those are, I, this could go, we could talk about this for hours. I think we could. Yeah, but it's it, it's nice to imagine a place where laws for citizens, not laws for special interests. Yeah. and. It's a different question here. We spent this entire time talking about the home sale market. By the way, I want to say something. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a capitalist and I believe in that. Yeah. I remember my dad used to pay, he was a small retailer and he paid commission and a salary to his sales clerks and he had a union contract. And he used to say, Bradley, I said, dad, I just read something. Unions are bad. He goes, well, actually for me, they give me rules. And 
they give me guidance and the union rep is there to help us if we're doing the right thing and it works mm -hmm. and it's not socialist it's not communist my dad was a capitalist but you know a, a fair amount of reasonable regulation to protect the citizens first yep a good entrepreneur works around it and figures out how to make it work and my dad did yeah everyone was happy one more question about this and then i want to ask you two questions about your you and your businesses um we spent 50 minutes talking about home sales and not a second talking about new construction and how home builders sell homes. What's the relationship between those two things? I don't know. You know, honestly, I don't know anything about it because they don't use realtors, but um, they they always hated realtors as much as commercial people hated residential realtors. And uh, even more so, they hated paying them. Yeah. The one thing that's happening is they're coming up with more efficient ways to sell property themselves directly and that's taking hold but at the end of the day a realtor with a big like here in palm beach there's prop there's new condos going up everywhere and not one single building is trying to sell homes themselves even mm -hmm. though it's a hot market they're all using real estate people you know and i don't say this disparagingly i lived in new york and everyone and their mother over the history of living in new york has tried to get rid of rats and they all have a reason for it. But somehow, if you live there, you don't look down, you don't notice them, they don't affect your life. They don't, they're not in your house if someone's taking care of it. Uh, and you just live with it. And I don't know what useful role they have, but here, you cannot kill a realtor. And I'm not comparing realtors to rats. Anyone that takes this and says that, that's a lie, Brett Inman didn't say it. All I'm saying is certain things never, ever, ever go away. And there's no way realtors are going away. And I don't think they're ever going to figure out how to get rid of rats, but they're here to stay. They're just here to stay. And so builders would like to imagine a world without paying that realtor 1%, which they pay less than a seller, but they're, they're going to continue to help, you know, they, those builders want to sell those units. Of course. And it's interesting. They're two separate worlds, therefore, and I'd yeah. rather the cockroach metaphor than the rat metaphor. Just for yeah, you. Okay. Fun. What are you doing now and what are your current activities? So I started a lot of companies. They're all disruptive. I started ebook company, which I sold. I started home gain, law venture backed. I started a video network back in the day when video took off. Uh, I helped was part of the group that stole, started curbed and uh, uh, racked and eater, which we sold to Vox Media. Um, people don't know about this part of my life in real estate, but I've been starting companies and I've got very lucky and was very successful. And I have everything I could possibly want in life, Matt. I have a beautiful children. They're successful and humble. They're not living in my basement. I have five beautiful grandchildren. I have a wife that I love dearly, French Moroccan, amazing woman, my 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 partner. And I have uh, friends all over the world. And I got um, it's kind of like your twenties, except different from then and now. I'm 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 older, but also I have some money in the bank. You can enjoy. So it. I have a great life. And the only thing I'm worried about is the Grim Reaper. And so I went on a personal quest to find out how I live longer and started doing all the research, just like any reporter. And I found, once again, elitist, arrogant people on one side, doctors, PhDs, you know how doctors talk to you. Uh, they have 12 years of education. It's yep. like meeting a VC that went to Harvard. The first thing out of their mouth is they went to Harvard. And the other extreme, you got a bunch of you know kooky people you know, saying that you can live forever. And so I found a lane, and that lane is credibility, where you bring in the best and the brightest and and you're agnostic and no one's paying you off, no pay-per-view. And so I decided to hold conferences on longevity. We're testing it in Palm Beach on March 15th and 16th. It's called Live Long Summit. And we're starting a media, global media company. And 
you know, at 70, I, I got another chapter. I, I was living the luxury nomad life and I got quite bored. And so now that's what I'm doing. Okay. The Live Long Summit. And we've talked about this before, but you found co-founded a company with your son, Cal. And I will tell I the story. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. And before you do, me. before you do, my daughter was his uh, TA at Cal and her name is Callie. So Callie worked for Cal at Cal. What did he say about Cal? She say about Cal? Sucked. No, no. She said he was loved it. Wonderful guy. And they had a great time. It was, yeah. it was really cool. It was a blessing. Yeah. He's, he's a special kid. Very, very successful all on his own in real estate, made a small fortune. And then he got in at, he teaches at Cal and he got into this data, which is you can type in your address just like Zillow and you can get um, all the forecasts and projections. Of, What's it called? Uh, called Climate Check. In fact, just type in an address, climate, commercial or residential, climatecheck.com. And they have climate scientists and hordes of data. And uh, yeah, I'm so proud of him. He's, I'm just so lucky to have him. Hey, Brad, last question on leading voices is advice for a young person getting into the real estate business. Work harder than everybody else and don't read any self-help books and uh, find someone that is extraordinarily successful and do for them anything and everything you can. I didn't realize I had mentors till later. I've never read a self-help book in my life. When I look back now, there were five people that had amazing impact and we didn't call them mentors. And they just had a, from an editor at the San Francisco Examiner to a business development guy at Fannie Mae to, uh, there were five people that without them, I would, I, I would be nothing. And you don't know it when you're young, when you have all the answers and, oh, I was worst at that. I had all the goddamn answers, but everything I ever did was a function of having those people stand behind me. So yeah, and network till you're crazy. Never stop. Just go up and meet strangers and don't be afraid to be embarrassed. And if you got that in your soul, you'll be fine. And it's uh, it's a huge opportunity, real estate. It's it, Think about it. We sleep eight hours, right? We work eight hours and then we socialize eight hours. So at least half of the time we spend is in a home. There's nothing more important to people in a house. Yep. And if you're peddling real estate, you're also peddling you're you're doing God's work. You're putting people into owning a home. What what could be better than that? And and that's better than commercial. Putting people in an office, oh, that's kind of cool. Your home. No one's doing that. So you're the person that enables that. And so you know, pat yourself. I always say, everybody, particularly people your own age, take your right hand and put it over your left shoulder and pat yourself on the back and don't let anyone shame you. And if you have passion about it, and the last thing you got to like real estate. Like I love going in houses personally. I don't like to go through office buildings, but. I love going in houses. And, and uh, if you like that, um, yeah, that would be my advice. And, and you'll be successful. I think it's great advice. And if you can get, which is not that hard from that 80%, lots of people kind of do this for a living, to that 20% who are highly yeah. professional and go for it, and you follow your North Star in the way that your sales methods are who you are, it's a life. Oh, absolutely. And one last thing on that, Matt, make sure you read in the news every day and come to our conferences, because if you do that, you'll be with the best and the brightest and you'll be smarter. Always selling. Hey, Brad, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a blast. Thank you, Matt. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Please remember, if you're enjoying Leading Voices, to share an episode with a friend or get them to subscribe. If they're podcast wary and not sure how to find and subscribe on their phone, go ahead and take their phone in your hand and subscribe for them. And add another few of your favorite podcasts to their list to get them started. They'll thank you for it. 
You can also find episodes of the show on our website, which you can find at zrgpartners.com slash leading voices. And if you have comments or discussion about this episode or leading voices in general, or if you're seeking help in real estate human capital solutions, recruiting or consulting especially, please contact me at mslepin at zrgpartners.com. Thanks for being a listener to Leading Voices.